مصطفى تاني Hello dear listeners, this is Katya from Safa Talents. In March, I visited Israel to find out more about the diversity of the Israeli society and its people. I'm very happy and grateful to introduce this new podcast series as a result of my various talks with great people. One of them is Hannah Benkowski, the program director of the Jerusalem Center for Jewish-Christian Relations. I met Hannah in her office at the Rossing Center for Education and Dialogue in Jerusalem. Hannah is an expert of Jewish-Christian relations in the Israeli context. Her knowledge and experience with interfaith activities is overwhelmingly rich and profound. I myself learned so much in our talk that I decided to split the interview into two separate episodes. In this first episode of two, Hannah explains the diversity of Jewish, Muslim, Christian and secular identities in Israel. She talks about the growing tensions also between Christians and Jews and what makes the Christians in the Holy Land so different from Christians in the Western world. We also discuss the question of who is minority or majority, which is particularly important in the light of the occupation. The main goals of Hannah's educational work are raising awareness and understanding of each other between Jews and Christians here in Israel. But here for yourself. So maybe we can start with the place we're in, because it's always interesting for the listeners to have a picture. Where are they sitting? What's it like? I mean, I can tell we're in Jerusalem, somewhere in the south of Jerusalem. Right. Actually, in the industrial zone, it's called Talpiot. It's not a very interesting place. It's an area that developed in the city after 48. And slowly, slowly, since the city is expanding and, and growing, they're turning this area to a residential area and the industrial zone moves further east or further south. And we have our offices here. We're in the office of the Rossing Center for Education and Dialogue. The offices just have the offices and the computers, but most of our work is being done around the country, all over the country, from the north, from the Galilee, all the way to the center, to Jaffa, to Ramle, and obviously also in Jerusalem. Let's stay a little bit in the present. What's occupying your mind right now? So what's happening? So I'm working for the Rossing Center and I'm responsible for um, the project that's called Jerusalem Center for Jewish-Christian Relations. And uh, most of my work connected to building bridges and promoting understanding between Christian and Jews in the Holy Land. And most of my work is educational work, so educating about, not just meeting with. And I'm worried now because there are a lot of tension that being raised in the last few years, and especially in the last couple of months, um, the different concerns of the Christian communities and lack of communication and ignorance and fear and suspicions from both sides that are worried that taking the relationship backwards in Israel I, and the I'm, Holy Land. Ah, because I'm very aware of the tensions right now between Jews and Arabs. 
but you don't really see the tensions with the Christians. So what kind of tension is that? So here, I think this is going back to the whole roots of of the, the Jerusalem Center for Jewish-Christian Relations. I will start with a little bit of history of the organization in yeah. order to put that in the context. There are many organizations involving Jewish-Christian dialogue around the world, especially after World War II. The organization who bring Jews, Christian to discuss their roots, to discuss the Christians. Uh, the Christians usually interested in their Jewish roots. Jews are interested in strengthening their place within the Christian world. They talk about theology, they talk about history, they talk about anti-Semitism. It's mainly intellectual, academic leadership discussion. And that's something that happens in many places around the Western world. In Israel, in the Holy Land, there was a dictation of that dialogue back in the 50s of European and Western Christians who came to dialogue with the local Jewish community. And that was really adaptation of something Western, something European to the Israeli environment, but not with the uh, local agenda, with the local challenges. And when Daniel Rossing, the founder of the center, and today the center is named after him, the Rossing Center for Education and Dialogue, when he founded the organization under the name the Jerusalem Center for Jewish-Christian Relations, he said that there's a special need for a special organization that would focus on the dialogue between Christian and Jews in the special circumstances of the Holy Land, in the special circumstances here in the state of Israel. He was the head of the Christian Communities Department in the Ministry of Religions in the past that was the ministry that was responsible for the different religions. He decided to establish the organization and focus on the dialogue here. And one of the first things we did was to analyze what are the special challenges for Jewish-Christian dialogue here in Israel, in what way it's different from other kind of dialogues between Christian and Jews in Europe, and also between Muslim and Jews in Israel, because there are other initiatives for Jewish-Arab-Jewish-Palestinian dialogue. And, and I, I guess the triangle, again, gives another complexity. Right, and the triangle actually doesn't allow any Jewish-Christian dialogue, because mm -hmm. immediately the Christian would not express the special agenda, their mm -hmm. issues. It would be just Palestinian-Jewish, yeah. and there wouldn't yeah. be any interfaith aspect to that. It would uh, disappear. Before we go further here, can you give a relation? What's the amount of people in each yes. of these groups? Right. So in Israel, we have almost 10 million people. 75% uh, of the Israelis are Jews. And then 20% uh, of the Israelis are Arabs. Most of them, almost 19, 18.5% are Muslims. And then less than 2% of the population are Christians. And they are also so, mostly Arab Christians. Yes, so we're talking they? about the official yeah. numbers are 185,000 Christians in Israel. Mm -hmm. Among them, 80% are Arab speakers. So that makes them less than 2% of the population, tiny minority. And I have to remind our listener that in Israel we don't have separation of state and religion. Therefore, your religion is registered by the state. The main implementation would be when you want to get married or you want to get divorced. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter, but it's there. So we can t say how many people are registered as Christians. So there are about 40,000 who are registered as Christians, but they're not Arabs. That means that they came from somewhere else, they married to Jew, people that came for different reasons. So many of them who came from the former Soviet Union countries 
came here registered with no religion at all. So we, they are more than the Christians. Actually, actually. probably, or very close to the number of the Palestinian Christians. And so politically and culturally, they're totally integrated into the Jewish Hebrew-speaking society, but they practice Christianity. We also have migrant workers who are mm. temporary here, but some of them live here for many years, who work within the Jewish society, but they are Christian from the Philippines, from Sri Lanka, from India, they are asylum seekers from Eritrea. I met quite a few people uh, who said, I'm secular. Right. So are they registered or they have to have a religion and then they just don't practice or how is that working? So your personal identity is not necessarily connected to the way you're registered by the state. Mm. And the definition of secular in different languages and different cultures is very different in Israel and other places. So the state registration is one thing and in Israel today, as I said, 75% of the population is registered as Jewish but among them only 25% consider themselves religious so practicing Judaism practicing the Jewish law the 25%? Jewish so these are the number to measure it yeah. it's a matter of self-definition and then another 30 something percent would define themselves as traditional so they practice certain things yeah. and then you have another some percent that describe themselves as traditional light <laughs> and then uh, the, the few people that still registered as Jews but they are totally atheist and I always joke and those who eat pork with cream on Yom Kippur <laughs> these are these are small numbers so yeah. but uh, still they're registered as Jews and they would identify yeah. with the Jewish people and the Jewish history and the Jewish heritage and also I would say the same for Muslims and for Christians here because you will find many Christians here who define themselves secular, but obviously they were Mary in the church, and obviously they were baptized, and when they make a tattoo, it would be a big tattoo of Mary on their arm, and they would walk with a cross, because it's not just, the, it doesn't reflect the relationship with God, but it's relationship with the community. And I know a lot of people who are very good secular Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so maybe they would not fast on Ramadan, but they would definitely identify themselves as Muslim, and they feel Muslim, and they're connected to the Muslim culture, and the Quran is their, their book. So when we talk about secularism, it's, it's quite different than secularism in Europe, for example. And so what we call, actually I don't know the name in, in Hebrew, uh, but what we call the Orthodox Jews, mm -hmm. these would be the 25%? Yeah, I would say. And even there you have you know, yeah, vague, vague yeah. borders between... Yeah. Because you look at the size of the keeper, you look at how people strict with practicing certain things. And it's also a matter of self-definition. I would maybe consider myself practicing, but then someone ultra-Orthodox would say, well, you're not serious in practicing, you're not really practicing. Mm. So it's really, really a matter of self-definition. I would also say it's also connected to which education system you send your kids. You are the director of the Center of the Jewish-Christian Relationship. Right. And all your life you have been in this inter-religious, interfaith, mediation, <laughs> <laughs> education work. Right. If you look back and if you look at it now, what have been the most successful activities? So I think, I'll go back to what I started to explain, but analyzing the challenges. And, and when you analyze the challenges, you can try to answer what is lacking, what needs to be mediated within the Jewish Christian relation. And it's also part of my personal experience. I started first being involved in interfaith dialogue 
with the Western questions and the more academic, theological, historical questions. And, and West, then, by Western, you I mean, European, European, European and yeah, yeah. West and North America as well. Yeah. But then I realized that we're losing something here and I cannot come to a dialogue with a local Palestinian Christian with the perception I have from my experience with Christians from Germany. Um, I cannot talk about Jewish-Christian relation and talk about the history of Jews in Europe when I'm talking to a Palestinian Christian. And we have to change our set of mind when we come to a dialogue here. And, and that's what we try to do in the beginning in the Jerusalem Center for Jewish-Christian Relations to analyze and define what are the special challenges. And I would say the first thing is just asking who is the minority and who is the majority. That was one of the questions which was really occupying my mind. Does the minority-majority issue manifest the relationship? Absolutely. Yeah. Because for Jews around the world, they're minority. We're excellent in being minority. We've done that for 2,000 years. We still do that all over the world. We still complain, especially around this time of the year, the Shoah Memorial Day. We talk about anti-Semitism and how people talk about Judaism. We know how to protect ourselves. And this is a certain mentality. And when you come to a dialogue with a mentality of minority, you expect the majority to listen to you and to care about you and to secure your rights. Because if you as the majority care about me as a small minority, you will care that my rights would be preserved and my future would be peaceful. Now, if two groups come to a dialogue and both of them consider themselves minority, they have the same expectation from the other, it just brings into clashes, the relationship into clashes. Now, the question who is the minority here is a very important question because Jews still feel minority even here in Israel. We're a minority of Jews in the Middle East, we're a minority of Jews in the whole world. We still have to secure our life here. We still live under threat. There's still anti-Semitism. There's still different kind of threats to the country. So we are still a minority dealing with protecting our life and spirit here in the Holy Land. While Christians, they consider themselves obviously as a minority here because they're a minority of Arabs and minority of Christians within the Muslim and Jewish world here in Israel. And Jews look at Christians here as a double majority because they're part of the Arab world and they're part of the Christian world. So what do you have to complain about? You're much stronger. Wow. And that doesn't allow even to start a dialogue. Mm. It's complete misperception. It's, it's a matter of self-perception. How do you yeah. see yourself? And obviously it's not objective. Yeah. And if both sides stick to the self-perspective and are not ready to see that there are different narratives and people see themselves a different way and the fact that we have an army and we have a state and maybe for the minorities it looks like we feel very secure and very powerful it doesn't change the fact that you feel very weak and by reminding the Israelis but you have an army and you are strong doesn't make us feel stronger so it's really hard to come to a dialogue when both groups consider themselves a small weak minority that need the protection of the majority because I mean, have the, the majority has a responsibility. Because the, major, the majority comes with responsibility. If you feel like that, then you can't take on the responsibility. Right. And if, if as a majority, you, oh, I, I would not even say what you have to feel as a majority. I would just say that as a minority, you expect the other to take responsibility on you and take care of your rights and your needs.
And it's obvious for Jews in Germany or for Jews in America or Jews in Austria, but not here. Yeah. So that's the first challenge. And then so how can you get started with that? Just first of all, awareness. Mm. It doesn't solve it, but it helps you to understand where are the challenges and start to tackle aha, them. Aha moment. This aha, exactly. Yeah. This aha uh -huh. moment. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is realizing that the history is part of the relationship for us, but not part of the relationship for the Palestinian Christians. Or other Christians, also Indian Christians or Filipino Christians. When I come to talk to a Christian, a German Christian, European Christian, and I talk about Jewish-Christian relations, I'm mentioning the history, I'm mentioning persecution and expulsion and the Holocaust. Christians in Europe understand why it is connected to Jewish-Christian relations, to Jewish-Christian dialogue. When I start to talk about the Holocaust or about persecution of Jews in Europe or the Crusaders with a local Palestinian, he, he doesn't understand what's the connection, why he needs to hear about something that Christians in Europe did to Jews in the Middle Ages while we are here dealing with totally different circumstances. But for Israeli Jews who have no experience of living with Christians, the only thing they know about Christianity is the history, and the history is full of tragedies, because obviously you learn the highlights of the history and that these are the tragedies, yeah. you don't learn about the daily boring life among Christians. Yeah. So when they see a cross or when they mm. see a Christian, immediately they think about the Crusaders who slaughtered mm. three communities in Germany. And, it's, it's and for the Palestinians, it's totally irrelevant. Of course, because it's completely dehumanized. There are not people, it's the cross. It just symbolizes something that happened. And I understand it with the case of Holocaust, but I don't really understand it fully with the case of the Crusaders. But of course, it's been a long time ago. Well, specifically, the example of the Crusaders has nothing to do with the Christians here, because even for the Christians here, the Crusaders were occupiers who came here and slaughtered and killed a lot of local Christians and didn't accept the local Christians as Christian because there were hierarchy ah, between the okay. European. So for them, Saladin was someone who liberated the Holy Land from the for Catholic the occupation. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So, I that. so for them you know, to, to say, and they use this terminology that the Israelis are like the Crusaders, when they use this terminology, it's not a flattering metaphor. Yeah. It's, it's definitely considered like a very aggressive occupation. They suffered from the Crusaders as mm -hmm. other non-Catholic, non-European communities. So for them, yeah, they don't see the relevancy, they don't see why the expansion from Spain yeah. or pogroms in different places. It has nothing to do. And for us, it's impossible not to talk about it. It's such an important part of our collective identity. And obviously, also the Shoah. And for many Palestinian Christians, it's hard to hear about the Shoah because then you start kind of a, I would say, ridiculous competition of who suffered more, whose pain is deeper, which is not something to compare at all. But... They don't want to hear about the Shoah because maybe they think that would be an excuse to what we do here. So yeah, they're not ready I mean, to you hear can't about really it. You really make people responsible just because of their religion if they were not connected to it, to what happened there. I Absolutely. mean, it's different, I think, uh, when you think about generations now, like me, Austrian third generation, I still feel I'm not guilty in that sense, but I carry in me the generational responsibility and guilt and I have to be careful 
uh, and I have to be aware of that. And that, that's a difference. So yeah. that, that really so is a difference. The, the thing is that Christians here definitely would not see any connection of them with what happened to you. But for many Israelis, it's important to bring it to the dialogue because we do make the connection. And it's also part of our collective identity. I mean, it's part of who we are. And Palestinians in general are not ready to hear about it because it would lead us to reduce the responsibility from what's happening here in the conflict. And it's interesting because since the conflict becomes more and more religious and uses more and more religious language for Muslims, and it's not just about the wall, it's not just about the occupation, it's about protecting Al-Aqsa, and more and more Palestinian youth talk about protecting Al-Aqsa the mosques and the holy place in, in Jerusalem. So when they talk about protecting Al-Aqsa, they actually talk about protecting the land. But they use their religious terminology. So also Christians are moving to use more religious terminology. It's not just about fighting for our freedom and human rights. It's about protecting and, and using our religious language to protect our land. And then sometimes you can find misuses of the religion that can be interpreted in an inappropriate way and even with some sense of anti-Semitism. This is exactly lack of understanding, lack of awareness, ignorance of each other from the Jewish side not understanding in which circumstances the Christian Palestinians are working and from the Christian side not understanding the background and the sensitivities that we're coming to the dialogue with. And that's exactly the kind of things that we're trying to do educate, creating awareness to these sensitivities, to explain the Palestinian Christian, there's certain things that if you would say, the Jews would not listen to you. And to explain the Jews, well, they see the situation in a different eyes than European Christians. So how do you reach those people that you need for a change? So we definitely don't do it the way it's being done in the Western world, in the European world. It's not an academic intellectual dialogue. We try to work with multipliers, so people who have access to other people, and we try to change the attitude mainly through educational work. So teaching in different places, going to everywhere we can and explain and talk about it and raise awareness to these sensitivities. Most of our own work is in the Jewish side, but also in the Christian side. It's through lectures and tours and meetings and courses and at university schools. Not university, Not university, very little in university, in colleges for teachers, mm -hmm. in a post-military program for young adults, young leadership, in um, gap year program for youth, in uh, governmental offices with army unit. They want to learn about the people they're working with. Um, with all kind of institutions, very diverse, all over the country. So people realize that there is a need, there's an interest, they invite us and we supply the program. One of the things I do with my students, for example, if I have a longer course, I ask them every week to say what I've heard about Christians this week. So just to be aware, just to open your ears. If you heard something about Christians or Christianity in the Holy Land and you're not interested, it should just, you know, pass above you, as we say. But after you start to learn, suddenly you hear the news and you have more attention to things that are related to Christian. You listen in a different ear uh, with a different attention to the news. And that's 
what I mean by creating awareness. And later on, when this young person who studied a course with me would be a teacher in a school or would lead a youth program, he would come with this different attitude. He would include in the program that he runs discussion or meeting or something that connected uh, to the topic. Many thanks to Hannah for this interview. At the end, let me give you some more details about Hannah Benkowski's biography. Hannah is the program director of the Jerusalem Center for Jewish-Christian Relations at the Rossing Center for Education and Dialogue. She holds an MA degree in Comparative Religions from Hebrew University and has 27 years of practical experience in interfaith activities in Israel and abroad. As I mentioned at the beginning, a follow-on part of the interview will be released soon. Besides going more into the details of the difficulties and potentials in Israel, Hannah talks about the reasons behind her own involvement. She shares her personal story and what drives her to fight for peace and a better future for all in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening. I wish you a happy day.